0: I'm not sailor, and this is pretty good for a guy. And tonight, as the old saying goes, love is a... Uh... Oh, what the fuck is it again?
1: You are definitely not sailor, and um, hey, everyone, uh, you might be asking yourselves. What the hell are we doing here? Well, we decided to commandeer the Pretty Good for Girls studios and play a little April Fool's prank on Sailor and the other badass babes.
0: Yes, indeed, Ed. It is time to get our sweet revenge. As long as they don't kidnap us again. I nightly have nightmares about that ordeal. And if you don't know, we were kidnapped to the listeners out there by the hosts of this very podcast. But uh, as my wounds heal, uh, I guess we move on. And what are we talking about tonight?
1: Well, tonight we are going to be covering a legendary singer who has sold millions of records worldwide and who has garnered 15 top 40 singles in her illustrious career. We will be discussing the heartbreaker herself, Pat Benatar.
0: You're a heartbreaker! Awesome, guys. Awesome. But before we get into the subject tonight, Ed, we are not alone here. We have a very special guest. Yes, we do. Who assisted us in breaking into the studio here. You can hear his work on the great song that plays at the beginning and the end of the Metal Rock and Whiskey podcast. Welcome, Chris, from When Particles Collide. What's up, Chris? How you guys hey, doing? Awesome, Chris. Glad to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me. Excited to be back.
0: It feels like it has been well, it's been well over a year since you've been on the show last. I think it was episode four or five you guys were on.
2: Yeah, I think it was like February 9th. Yeah, back in 2018.
0: Back in our early, early, early days when we were just little podcast virgins back then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, Chris, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Um, actually, I shouldn't say welcome back because this is. Not our podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> Welcome to our hijacked podcast. Um, I know you and Sasha have been touring so hard lately that it might feel like you've spent you know half your life behind that steering wheel of your van. Um, but I believe you're kind of chilling out at home in Maine, right? right we now? are.
2: We are home right now. We uh, we got home last week, uh, last Monday actually, and um, just taking. Two, two weeks off from the road to just get a little rest. We're still playing on the weekends. We were just up north and we're playing around here this weekend. And then next weekend, we actually uh, play with the ladies that do the theme song for the show we are currently on, Petty Morals. Oh, oh
1: sweet. Yeah. Awesome. That's going to be a great
2: show. It Hell will be yeah. a lot of fun.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, and for the listeners who might not, you I mean, you should know who One Particles Collide are, but if you don't, I'll give you a pass this time. Uh, why don't you just give us a brief rundown, a brief history on how you guys started, where you sure. met, where the name comes from, you got so it. on and so forth. Yeah,
2: um, we met back in 2010. Uh, we were both in a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a musical. Um, we were uh, we did that here in the state of Maine, in our hometown Bangor, um, and then about I want to say maybe three weeks after the uh, show had finished its run uh i got a text message from my then wife saying she wanted a divorce uh how 2000s Ooh, and via text
0: message via text
2: oh. message i was just trying to watch the bruins win the stanley cup <laughs> is all <I> was doing. <laughs> just trying to have a drink and next thing you know she wants a divorce and uh sasha said if i needed a place to stay that uh i could stay there and i said i think i know what that means so i uh i went over there that night and i still haven't left and we got married somewhere in between there and uh started the band about six months after that and now now we're wind particles collide full-time touring and this is what we do we just play rock and roll all over the u.s and canada
0: fucking living the dream awesome yeah um
1: so chris yes since we have taken over the girls show I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit okay. and ask you if there's been any female music artists who may have influenced you musically, or if not, that you just enjoy listening to.
2: Um, growing up, I listened to, I listened to a lot of jazz because that was just what was in my family, weirdly enough. Um, we didn't listen to a lot of pop music. Uh, so I grew up really listening to the likes of Ella Fitzgerald a lot. And she was just, just her voice mm. uh, was a big inspiration myself when I sing, because uh, I don't just play drums. I am also a trained jazz singer and uh, like classical theater singer. So people, like oh, sweet. Ella had a big uh, thing on me. Um, there, let's see, who else was back? in... Uh, I have a very, very soft place in my heart for Lisa Loeb. I love Lisa mm-hmm. Loeb and I loved her songwriting. She, just makes me so happy and jewel i can listen to jewel all day long which has nothing to do with the kind of music that we play but it's just such beautiful ethereal music all of it that i think sure. that kind of uh that's how i see some of our music like how i get into some of her music when she's over there playing rock chords and getting all nitty-gritty sometimes uh i'm like well let's try this really pretty thing and then she's like, "Where'd you come up with that?" I'm like, "I'm not telling you." <laughs> and then she, and then we go do karaoke, and I sing "All of Stay" by Lisa Love, and she's like, ah, "I see where you get it now." So yeah,
1: well, you don't have to draw inspiration from uh, the, your own genre. You can draw inspiration totally from excellent. multiple genres, Yeah, sure. Chris,
0: harkening yeah. back to yeah. the mid to late '90s female yeah. folk movement
2: yeah i mean you know then <laughs> there's awesome. like lita there's lita ford i mean you can't deny that she's oh, of crazy yeah. and now oh, yeah. uh what's her face uh matt you know this one the, the one that does all the stuff for the wwe now uh nita strauss right that's yeah her name, yeah, right? nita yeah. Strauss, she's yeah. a crazy guitar player she's awesome
0: yeah i promise ed we wouldn't talk too much about wrestling tonight be, it's <laughs> that's gonna all be i'm gonna I'm say difficult. for
2: <laughs> now that's all i'm gonna say for now yeah
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Chris. And um, as Chris knows, and I'm sure most of our listeners know here, that uh, we usually drink a little bit on these podcasts. (laughs) And um, so we'll let our guest go first here, Uh, Chris.
2: What have you uh, brought to the show tonight? I started myself with a uh, Staley Rye whiskey. This is um, from Ohio. and I actually picked this up. It was probably, I think, a little over a year ago now uh, when we were on tour, when we were given a very awesome uh, a tour, actually, of the facility by, <laughs> by one sailor who actually, oh, you know, we kind of. I know her. Yeah. Yeah. We broke into their studio sounds to do riddlier. this. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> She's tied up somewhere. Can't talk about it, but it's actually it's really it's a really good rye whiskey. I love it. Ah, nice. Yeah. What you got, man?
0: Well, I thought it apropos considering the subject matter for this evening, to go with a foundation layer, a groundbreaker. So I went with Evan Williams. Evan Williams Black Label, to be specific. Ed, I know oh, it's one of your favorites. That's that's like. You, that never disappoints That's never, my house never. I it's, always uh, have a
1: handle on handy it,
0: and like, sure. like you said it's a crowd pleaser I always have it at my house Guests love it you know, Whether they're mixing it, drinking it straight uh, So I couldn't think of a better bottle to open Tonight than uh, The Evan Williams Black Label for Pat Benatar And how about you Ed, what are you drinking over there?
1: For me I am um, felt like I needed to give a little Nod to the ladies Since um, we have taken over Their show So I picked um, a bottle. Not only was it gifted to me by Sailor, it's a bottle of George Dickel Tennessee whiskey. But um, this particular uh, distillery also has a master distiller who is a badass babe. Um, Nicole Austin is her name, and she's I believe she's like a in her early mid thirties, and she's really. Kicking ass over there at uh, at Dickel. I'll tell you what, this is a a pretty good whiskey. It's um the what what stands out to me most about this is the finish on it. When it finishes, I get a taste of like vanilla ice cream or creme brulee on it. It's really delicious. Um, yeah, really enjoying this. So yeah. a
0: sweeter sweeter finish.
1: Yes, <laughs> and as I am about probably ninety percent through with this bottle, so. Unfortunately, I might have to uh, go out and replace it.
0: Not a huge investment, luckily.
1: Nope. Very well priced. Not really.
0: Solid choice, Ed. Solid choice. So, say we start on this topic tonight. Get into a little bit of a timeline here. So, Pat Benatar was born on January 10th, 1953, and I'm going to butcher her birth name here. I'll try my best as Patricia May ski
1: <laughs> Wow! All the Polish listeners are like shaking their
0: heads. Hey, man! Right I now. took a stab. What, what can I? Say? I mean, it's it's a long name with a lot of consonants <laughs> in a row. Uh, In the Greenpoint section of Brooklyn to Mildred, her mother, who was a beautician, and Andrew, her father, who was a sheet metal worker. As you could tell by her birth name, her father was of pure Polish descent. Benatar quickly became interested in singing and theater at a very early age. Starting around the age of eight with school performances, which soon transitioned into stage plays and musicals by the time she was in high school. Including playing the role of Queen Guinevere in a production of Camelot. She planned on attending the Juilliard School, which is a huge fucking deal. However, she decided instead to attend Stony Brook University of New York with a path toward health education. After one year, she dropped out of school and married her high school sweetheart, Dennis Benatar, who was an Army draftee stationed at Fort Lee, Virginia. During this time, she worked as a bank teller. Hard to imagine that. In 1971, Benatar subsequently quit her job to pursue a singing career after being inspired by seeing Liza Minnelli perform, got a job as a singing waitress at a nightclub named The Roaring Twenties, and got a gig singing in the lounge band Coxon's Army, a regular at Sam Miller's Basement Club. The band was, subject, was the subject of a never-aired PBS special. Its bassist, Roger Caps, was later the original bass player for the Pat Benatar Band. This period also yielded Benatar's first and only single until her eventual 1979 single uh, taken from her first album, In the Heat of the Night. Uh, The single in 1974 was called Day Gig and was locally released in Richmond, Virginia. In 1975, Benatar performed at an amateur night at the comedy club Catch a Rising Star in New York. Her rendition of Judy Garland's Rockabye Your Baby with a Dixie melody earned her a callback by club owner Rick Newman, who became her manager. The couple eventually moved to New York following Dennis Benatar's discharge from the Army, and Pat Benatar became a regular member at the Catch a Rising Star for the next three years. In 1975, she landed the part of Zephyr in Harry Chapin's futuristic rock musical The Zinger, which ran for a month in 1976 at the Performing Arts Foundation's Playhouse in Huntington Station, Long Island. And then we get to Halloween 1977, which proved a very pivotal night in Benatar's early spandexed stage persona. She entered a Halloween contest at the Cafe Figueroa in Greenwich Village, dressed as a character from the film *Catwomen of the Moon*. Man, I'd love to get my hands on that <laughs> film. <laughs> Do yourself a favor, listeners, and Google images. Google image *Catwomen of the Moon*.
1: Now I've seen the the uh, there's like a spoof film *Amazon Woman on the Moon*, and I wonder if that kind of ties draws in. a little inspiration yeah, from yeah. the. Uh, I mean,
0: it could be title. it could be part of the same series of. Women on the Moon series? I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was a very very interesting little Google Image shirt. Uh, so later that evening, she went on stage at Catch a Rising Star, still in costume. And between appearances at Catch a Rising Star, she recorded commercial jingles for Pepsi-Cola and a number of regional brands. She headlined New York City's Tramps Nightclub for four days in the spring of 1978, where her performance was heard by representatives from several record companies. She was eventually signed to chrysalis records by co-founder terry ellis the following week unfortunately pat and dennis benatar divorced shortly after but she kept his surname thank goodness for that
2: oh my god it wouldn't fit on record (laughs) sleeves if she (laughs) had so let's jump to august
0: 1979 when benatar releases her debut album in the heat of the night which peaked at number 12 in the u.s in early 1980 the album was certified platinum by the recording, well, the RIAA, in December 1980. In Canada, it was certified four times platinum, where it peaked at number three on the RPM albums So We're going to see this common theme with these Canadian sales for her. Um, if You Think You Know How to Love Me was the first single to be released on September 14th, 1979, however unsuccessfully. Benatar's second single, however, Heartbreaker, was released on October 26th, 1979, and became a huge hit, climbing to number three in the U.S. A third single, We Live for Love, which was written by her future husband, Neil Giraldo, was released in February 1980 and reached number 27 in the United States.
1: Now, what's interesting is that if you, you saw the, the behind the music... I did, yes. Uh, ...special, right? How... Her career, she really didn't have aspirations originally to be in, be a rocker, get into rock music. But um, once she hooked up with her guitar player Neil Neil Giraldo, um it's like his guitar playing something clicked in her that just made her.
0: It was a perfect. Between, it was a perfect. Yeah, it's like the
1: perfect marriage that yeah, set up her career. A
0: great symbiotic relationship yeah. between two people who, on their own, maybe wouldn't have made it if you will, but we'll get into that later uh, when we open up the discussion. So in August 1980, Benatar's second album, Crimes of Passion, was released, featuring what would become her signature song, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, along with the very controversial song, Hell Is For Children, which was inspired by reading a series of articles in the New York Times about child abuse in America. She received quite a bit of backlash for this, as, of course... The early 80s music cretins came out of the woodwork as they seemingly did on a daily basis about this song claiming that it had satanic overtures when all they really had to do was read the lyrics and realize it was nothing about that. So Hit Me With Your Best Shot Uh, hit number 9 in the US charts was her first single to break the top 10 and sold more than a million copies in the United States. The album itself peaked for 5 consecutive weeks at number 2 in the U.S. in January 1981, behind John Lennon and local uh, Loco, <laughs> and she might as well have been. Uh, but yes. John, Lennon <laughs> you're not too far off. No. <laughs> behind behind John Lennon and Yoko Ono's "Double Fantasy," as you know, being a year after his, or not even a year after his death, a month after his death, um, you can understand why that was number one. And eventually, sold over five million copies. And a month later, Benatar won her first Grammy for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance of 1980 for the album. Other singles we have from this album were Treat Me Right uh, and the Rascals cover You Better Run, which, great piece of trivia here, was the second music video ever played on MTV, after Video Killed Mm -hmm. the Radio Star. Crimes of Passion remained on the U.S. album charts for 93 weeks, and in the top 10 for more than six months eventually becoming her first platinum certification by the RIAA. In October 1980, Benatar, along with Neil Giraldo, appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. This is huge, man. This is a year after her debut album. Uh, The album was certified five times platinum in Canada. Again, her best-selling album in that country, where it peaked at number two on the album charts. Skip to 1981 in July, her third album, Precious Time, was released. Only a month later, the album hit number one on the U.S. Billboard 200s. It was also her first to chart in the U.K., reaching number 30. The album's lead single, Fire and Ice, was another huge hit, reaching number 17 on the U.S. charts, and won Benatar her second Grammy Award, this time for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance of 1981, and her third consecutive certified platinum album. In Canada, it was certified double platinum and peaked at number two on the album charts. Going back in August 1981, going back to this, uh, her video for You Better Run was the second clip aired on MTV, as I said. Uh, The video was actually specifically chosen by MTV to echo the message to the radio industry contained in Video Kill the Radio Star, kind of continuing that theme that things were going to change. I think it's worth noting also that... um, we can add, and we've talked about other artists on this, on not this podcast that we're stealing, but on our podcast, Middle Rock and Whiskey, uh, that we can add Pat Benatar to that long list of performers who were greatly influenced by the dawn of MTV. Uh, and she quickly became an MTV darling and the first ever female performer to appear on MTV. Uh, mm-hmm. And that cannot be discounted by any means, that by any means at all.
1: And Neil Geraldo right. was the Geraldo was the actual first guitarist ever featured seen on yes, the TV. Yes,
0: yes, very true, very true, very true. If you think about it that way, yeah. Um, and I'm sure you know Ed. You know, you have a few years. Sorry to say this, but you have a few years on like Chris and myself. Uh, yeah, I Chris and myself are the same age. It's out but, there. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, all these songs are on my mom's iPod. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, no, I
1: I had uh, Pat Benatar. I had on... Um, was a regular on my
2: mixtapes yeah. back in the day. I wasn't even born yet when these albums were out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm sure. I don't know if the magnitude of this was felt then, as it is. You know, you can look back on it and and you know really see the.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. That Pia Benatar back in the day, she really was the first um, real female rocker that I was ever exposed to um you know you had all your other light rock singers easy listening singers which are female but she's the one who the first one i ever heard who really was i mean sang with an aggressive style i would say um she sounded in all her music she sounded like she was in control Mm -hmm. she wasn't playing you know second fiddle to everybody she wasn't playing the subservient female role in any of her songs um there's one song in particular that, that stood out to me called I'm Gonna Follow You. At first, you think, oh, well, but back in those days, oh, it's probably like, was it Shelley Fabre's I Will Follow Him? That kind of a song. No, no, no. No. <laughs> the one she about turns God. the song, yeah, she turns the song on its head. When it says I'm Gonna Follow You, it's more like um, a lioness stalking her prey. You know that kind of. She
0: happen. was very like aggressive with her with her vocals and it really pulled no punches when it came to the the subjects that she sang about and wrote about, um, which in and of itself for the times was, was pretty good. You know, male or female. Um, so yeah, uh, so going back to the timeline here, so we have a hit single "Shadows of the Night," uh, which peaked at US number thirteen, and was the prelude to the release of her fourth album "Get Nervous," released in late 1982. The album was another Smash reaching US number four, her fourth consecutive platinum certification, and the you know the albums just keep coming and coming here. And the single garnered Benatar Third Grammy, again for best female rock vocal performance in 1982, follow-up singles A Little Too Late and Looking for a Stranger were also successful. There was a bit of a controversy, actually, with the original album cover, as execs said that her look on the album made her look, and I'm paraphrasing here, too ugly. So, after a bit of a confrontation, a middle ground was reached between the two parties. I mean, you cannot make this shit up. I mean, this is. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's sickening to look back on this and see this now, but I mean, these we've seen these stories before. Mm-hmm.
2: That we've, was the music was business the music back business in the day. Back then.
0: It's yeah.
1: almost the same.
0: Hmm.
1: Not much has changed. Some has, but it's still. Mm-hmm. There's still remnants. It's still
0: sickening, yeah. Also, in 1982, it should be noted that Benatar married. Guitarist Neil Giraldo. By 1983, Banatar had established a reputation for singing about tough subject matters, best exemplified by one of the biggest hits of her career, Love is a Battlefield, released in December 1983. By then her sound had mellowed from hard rock to more atmospheric pop. Mm -hmm. This new pop rock direction was a huge commercial success, with a single peaking at number five in the United States and number one in Australia for seven consecutive weeks. The song gained interest in the UK, where it peaked at number 49. The song also netted Benatar her fourth consecutive Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance of 1983.
1: Well, I remember when Love is a Battlefield came out. You could not watch TV for an hour without seeing that video at least once, it seemed like. They just played that thing to death. Over and over again. Mm -hmm. For good reason. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So a live album, Live from Earth, which was recorded during her sold-out Get Nervous world tour in 82 and 83, was then released. The album peaked at US number 13, another hit. Uh, In August 1984, Benatar released her fifth studio album, Tropico, and here we start to see that change again in sound. The single We Belong. Now, I don't know about you guys, but... I'm a huge Will Ferrell fan, and I don't know if you guys have seen Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Yeah.
1: Yes, I have, but it's been, you know, probably since the movie came out, so it's been
0: a while. Okay. I cannot hear this song without thinking of that movie at the end
2: scene <laughs> I'm gonna have to when watch him it again. and Sacha
0: Baron Cohen are racing on foot to try to win the race, and they're playing this song in the background. <laughs> have you seen it, Chris?
2: Uh I've seen it. It's been a long time, so I'm gonna have to watch it again, but yeah, I feel like I remember it,
0: yeah, so I mean, I can't you know, and I heard you know researching for this show over the past week or so, and you know especially today, cramming at the end, like I do so often with things um uh, you know hearing this song three or four times, uh there was not one time I could listen to it through without cracking a smile and laughing, thinking about right. their faces <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> So that song, the single rele- uh, the album Tropico released in October 1984, uh, became another top 10 hit in the U.S., uh, We Belong. Uh, it was also Benatar's first ever U.K. Top 40 hit, where it peaked at number 22. It is also said by Benatar and Geraldo that the, this album is the first where they moved from Benatar's famed hard rock sound and started experimenting with new, sometimes gentler styles and sounds. Uh, I think that's putting it very mildly, but I actually feel that personally this transition started on the previous album not so much but i think you started hearing little inklings of the change there uh despite not quite making the u.s top ten it immediately earned her a six consecutive platinum certified album now we're getting to rarefied air here six straight platinum albums here uh in canada the album peaked at number 21 on the on the charts so after the chart success of We Belong in the UK, Love is a Battlefield was actually re-released in early 85 and became her highest chart hit there, reaching number 17. We Belong was also nominated for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance in 1986, Benatar's first nomination in that category. Now we start to hit a little bit of a rocky road here for her. In 1985, she released her sixth studio album, Seven the Hard Way. Benatar hit the US Top 10 with the Grammy-nominated single, Invincible. Her other Grammy-nominated single, Sex is a Weapon, climbed as high as number 28. The album itself peaked at number 26 uh, and earned gold certification. Uh, In Canada, it was her seventh consecutive platinum certified album, and it peaked at number 36 on the album sales charts. Man, she is huge up north, man. She is huge. I mean, she is huge in Canada.
1: What's amazing to me is how she kept her popularity after, you know, with such an evolution in sound. Um, yeah, that it's not, she's not the only artist that's ever happened to, but when you start out, you know, like she did with the albums, like in the heat of the night and crimes of passion, which are very, you know, very hard driving, you know, a lot of hard driving vocals and, uh, tempos. And then you move into the more of the pop, uh, type sound. It's, it's just, boggles the mind and i think it just it's a testament to her talent yeah. as a singer really because she can all right i'm gonna come out and say it af- after listening to a lot of her her work um you know i've heard her music over the years but for the first time i really listened to her and her her vocal range is phenomenal she can do it all she can sing everything from opera, opera to rock and, and everything mid between very, you know, she's up in that rarefied air with people like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And, um, yeah, very talented. And I think that it's served her well.
0: Absolute, her and absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely agree with you. And, um, yeah, I mean, she, uh, I forgot what I was going to say.
2: <laughs> She'll do that to you.
0: <laughs> she will do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but no, she's up in there. I think. Well, no, I, I remember uh, going back to what you said, Ed, about um, you know changing the sound and still being able to sell this many albums. I think, you know, I think the listeners' ears were changing too. But I think maybe any of those fans that she may have lost from her previous sound going into this new sound, I think she gained that many more fans by going. Because sure. I think that the music was changing, the industry was changing, and the ear of the fan was changing, and what they were playing on TV was changing too. So, um, so yeah, I think for what she lost, she gained maybe more than what she would have mm-hmm. figured. But mm-hmm. um, all right, so in July of '88, now Benatar releases her seventh studio album, "Wide Awake in Dreamland." The Grammy-nominated lead single, "All Fired Up," reached number nineteen and was a number two smash in Australia, becoming one of the biggest hits of 1988 in that country, randomly. Um, The album also earned a gold certification and was her eighth consecutive platinum-certified album in Canada, again, where it peaked at number 11 on the album charts. So eight straight platinum albums in Canada. Her next album, which was a complete departure from everything she had done, uh, entitled True Love, Uh, was a jump blues record Uh, and for those listeners who don't know what jump blues is it's really more of an up-tempo style of traditional Mm -hmm. blues Uh, it was released in April 1991 and featured the blues band Roomful of Blues backing up Benatar, Neil Giraldo and drummer Myron Grombacher Album sold over 339,000 copies without significant radio airplay and very limited exposure in the US but again certified gold in Canada uh, her first not to achieve platinum status and her last certified album for that country where it peaked at number 22 on the album sales charts. You know, what? as big of a departure as this is, if you guys listen to this album, I fucking like this album, man. This album is yeah. fucking incredible, dude.
2: It's a good album. It feels yeah. very, it reminded me of like, uh, oh God, who was popular back in the day? Uh, what's his face? Brian Setzer. That's, like, the oh, first yeah. thing I thought of, like, was, like, Cherry, cherry Poppin' daddies. It had that, like, I was, like, oh, my God, this is so bluesy, Big bandy, and I was, like, oh, yeah, and I read the notes. It was, like, yeah, that makes sense now.
0: Yeah, and, and, and in a way, it was sort of a, a predecessor to that new swing movement that came yeah. later on in the 90s, uh, but fantastic album, fantastic, and, you know, some of her, you know, for her hardcore fans that, you know, didn't like the transition, I mean... There's not a bad song on this record Um, So next we have Gravity's Rainbow Which was her ninth studio album released in 1993 And it was a return to her Rock style genre Everybody Laid Down was picked up By the album Rock Radio and went all the way to number 3 In Canada the album Peaked at number 44 on the album sales charts Uh, A third track was scheduled and a video shot For Every Time I Fall Back But the single was never released And the music video was lost When *Chrysalis* was sold to EMI Records, Benatar had become pregnant again, and this may have had an effect on her label's support of the album. The tour for this album was only seven seven days—seven dates—cut short because of the pregnancy. That's fucking sad, man. I mean, (laughs) on the label support just because she wanted to have a fucking family. Yeah. Uh, You know, here we are in 1994 here, and nothing has changed.
2: Becoming pregnant just sounds really weird. Also, when you read it that way, she became pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> she contracted a disease and could not tour because she had become. This is pregnant. my first
0: timeline. Give me a break.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not blaming it on you. I'm blaming it on the oh, original writer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say someone else wrote that part for you.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yes. I'm so, I would say that maybe somebody else wrote a lot of
2: this for me. But. Yeah. Maybe it was your wife.
0: Anyway. Um, maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> she always has a way of making me sound better Anyway, this was Benatar's last album recorded For Chrysalis Studio, uh, Chrys- Chrysalis Records With very little promotion Gravity's Rainbow failed to have the same commercial success As her previous works No surprise though Because again, kind of a different sound on that album uh, It sold approximately 160,000 copies in the US So you see her numbers steadily going down uh, Her 10th studio album Ina Morata was released in '97 sold 65,000 copies. In 2003, we have our 11th studio album, Go, which only peaked at number 187 on the U.S. charts. Uh, It did include the 9-11 charity single Christmas in America as a bonus track. Uh, The song Go became a popular performance song for Benatar's Benatar's Future Concerts. Uh, The album has now nearly sold 34,000 copies, so another huge drop-off there. Uh, In in January 2017, Benatar recorded the song Shine to support the Women's March on January 21st, 2017. This is her first original non-holiday recording in over 10 years. Currently, Benatar is touring with her husband, Neil Giraldo, and really, for the most part, shows no signs of slowing down, at least from a performing standpoint. Uh, As far as new material goes, who really knows? Um, For those of you... Listening, who are wondering, the classic lineup of her band would be her, of course, her husband Neil Giraldo on guitars, Myron Rombacher on drums, who, interestingly enough, actually left uh, in 1988 to join leader Ford for her hit album, Lita, uh, with bass being played by Roger Capps on uh, Benatar's first three albums, and then really a rotation of bass players, guitar players, keyboard players, etc., throughout her career. So that is Pat Benatar in a large nutshell. So, yes. So why don't we take a quick break, maybe a little pee break, refill our glasses. And then when we come back, we'll open up discussion here.
1: Are back and I didn't piss my pants and hopefully you guys didn't either.
0: It was close. Um, it was close.
1: But yeah, let's um, talk about Pat Benatar a little bit here. Um, any like favorite albums
2: or songs you have? Yeah, I took a bunch of notes and Sasha looked at me and said, "What are you? What are you doing? Why are you writing so much stuff down? What are you even writing? Because I don't <laughs> take notes like this when we have meetings about our own band. And <laughs> He's like, that's, a, that's a good band. What do you want that's me to do?" Plus, you're not gonna be there to do all the talking for me, so I better at least listen and have something to talk about. So I wanna be prepared. Yeah, yeah, I gotta that's be prepared. Right. Yeah. And I did tell her though, like it kind of trailed off as we got into the late '80s. I was like, it's kind of like my school notes. Like by the time I got to the last half of the class, I'd stopped writing almost. Yeah. So
0: I was like, my timeline. And, like when I got to 1988, it was like,
2: eh. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what happened. I I mean, I personally felt the same way when I was listening to the music. You know, I was like, oh, well, the early stuff was super rocking, which I enjoyed. And I even enjoy what I call the electropop phase. But some of it just got, you know, I was like, yeah, maybe you just have to, like, fulfill your record contract. Because that becomes a thing sometimes. Mm -hmm. I just got to pump out 12 songs so I can get on to the next one. But I don't know. There's some... Starting at the beginning, I mean, she was phenomenal. There was some great stuff even on those on those first albums. I mean, I don't know what you guys. Oh yeah. Are...
1: When I was listening to, uh, I just just to uh, to piggyback on what you're saying, yeah, that song from In the Heat of the Night. Did you did you notice the song I Need a Lover on there? The John
2: Mellencamp song.
1: Okay, so that's what I was wondering. When I heard that, I'm like, okay, who covered who? Yeah. Here. Yeah. Did, did you think the same thing
2: you were wondering? Okay. Um, well, I Sasha and I have or did this. You already know uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I have this. Sasha and I talk about this a lot. About because we're in the process of writing a new album. Is like people. Not everyone that you listen to writes their own songs. And like, even though she's a band, she's still like a pop singer. So mm-hmm. she didn't write all the songs. So you can expect that some of those are going to be written by somebody. And you never know. But sometimes you get that idea that like this sounds like another band. Like, I feel like I recognize this style of writing. Let's like, and then once you like do the research and you look, look it up or whatever, and you like, Oh, John Mellencamp wrote that song. You're like, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Now. Like this definitely sounds like a John Mellencamp song.
1: Yeah. As soon as Neil's guitar kicks in on the very beginning, I'm like, wait a minute this is a John Cougar Mellicamp song, but yeah. I, I guess he released that in 1978 yeah, to just one year a mere apart. year. Yeah. One year apart, you which is know crazy because usually you know, if you do a cover from someone's song, you know, there's usually a little more yeah. span of time in there, which yeah. is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. But I'm in agreement with both of you, man, the, um, or, or with Chris, I sh- should say the early stuff, really catchy, really new, really fresh. Yeah. Um, You know, she kind of, she molded her own sound. She molded her whole her own path. She paved her own way, which I can really appreciate. You know, it wasn't until later on where, you know, who knows? Maybe she let some of the record companies get in her head. Maybe she, you know, took some bad advice. Um But the thing I like about her, you can't say a lot about a lot of other people, is that she realized it and she kind of stood her ground. And, you know, when it became a burden... Uh, she kind of just cut it out. She's like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go raise a family. Um, and she kind of just got out of it. Um, but you know, I mean the numbers, uh, I'm a huge proponent of numbers on this show. Um, again, not this show, our show, but I'm a huge proponent of numbers and the numbers don't lie here. I mean, she was, you know, one of the hottest things going for a good five year period there in the early eighties. I mean, you can't Mm -hmm. even, I mean, you can't deny that.
2: No, there's no denying it at all.
0: Yeah. And, you know, going back to what you said, Ed, about the vocal range, you're putting her in rarefied air as far as vocal talent goes. Mm-hmm. And I found it very interesting when I was watching uh, interviews and in, in the, the Behind the Music documentary in particular, how she had a lot of trouble at the beginning trying to, uh, you know, coming from an opera background, Mm-hmm. Trying to mold her mm-hmm. voice to fit what she wanted to do, the vision that she had in her head uh for being you know just a rock and roll performer uh how she had to you know struggle to try to fit her voice, which was you know in in many ways maybe we can say for the genre was you know above and beyond what you know you would expect from the genre, but she did it, and you know' to her credit amazing,
2: yeah.
1: I think uh, for me, Crimes of Passion was her pinnacle album. Yeah. Um, hit me Treat Me Right, You Better Run, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, even the song Hell is for Children, that's the first time I'd heard that song. That song is amazing. Um, and let's not forget about um, Neil Giraldo's guitar. I mean, Neil Giraldo is a very good guitar player, and you know, and that can't can't be overlooked, and I think that had a lot to do with uh, these album successes. It can, well and,
0: and honestly, for you know, you talk about rock duos and you know famous duos that um, played off each other and were instrumental in in creating great music. And you know, who says Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo? No one ever says those two names. And I think right. that, you know, especially for me, after shame. after doing this research on this and really digging in deep, it's a crime that they're never mentioned. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, and you, know, you mentioned her as being one of the great female vocalists and one of the great vocalists of all time. But you know, no one ever says boo when, you know, who's Neil Giraldo? No one ever. Yeah. No one knows who he is. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't. Exactly. A lot of people that have no idea who Neil Giraldo is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would go on. I mean, you know, he was a huge influence on her, and she's a huge influence on him. Obviously, you know that symbiotic musical relationship that they had. But Ed, I would agree with you also. Um, That's her best album by far. Uh, I think it's just it's it's great track after great track. For me personally, Heartbreaker is my favorite song. I mean, that's
2: Hmm. that's my favorite song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the especially like you were saying, "Crimes of Passion." is just front to back; you can go through basically the entire thing from the first track to the last track, and it's just like everything in there is just like it's it's money. And then even you go yeah. up at one back and talking about how she goes, you know, you can uh, watching those VH1 Behind the Musics and how she couldn't figure out, maybe not couldn't figure out, but wanted to figure out how to get from the theater background to being a rock star and get that rock voice like i understand what where she's coming from but like you even hear it in that first word like one of my favorite tracks off that album is actually my clone sleeps alone I don't know why. I think it's hilarious. And it's just because it's so over the top, like theatrical. And then all of a sudden it kicks in like a minute into the song. You're like, what is this song even? What is even <laughs> happening here? We were listening to it in the car and Sasha was like, is this musical theater? And then like it kicked in. She's like, oh no, this is Pat Benatar. And I was like, it is. That's my point. Yep. Like, just like out of nowhere, you know, she can bring it back in finding herself. And that's, I think what, you finally get at when you get to crimes of passion you see that she finally is kind of like found how she wants to do it and you know even by the time you get to your second and third album the band still might not always know like exactly who they are and you're like you're gonna get like more songs on the following albums that like oh this the band's really hitting on this one like the writers being pat and neil are finally like oh this is how we like to write together and boom now we've got these great songs and that's when you get to love as a battlefield and heartbreaker and
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: you get to i don't know i could talk all day about it <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: interesting to me that she didn't throughout her career and i went album by album she didn't not very small percentage of writing credits on all of her songs. Yeah. I mean, very small percentage. I mean, mostly you're talking, you know, Geraldo and, and, uh, whatever the drummer's name was. I can't remember. Ron uh, Yeah. My, um, but I mean, maybe, maybe 20% of the, of the songs that she released, she actually had writing credits on. Yeah. So I found that very interesting, but, um, you know, going back to the song heartbreaker anyway, for me, um, Jenny, who used to have her own band, uh, you know, cover band, they would play bars, different gigs, uh, and one of the first songs that they actually performed together and then that they actually learned for their set was Heartbreaker, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the 60-65 song rotation that they're doing. Um, So I remember the first gig, and they were kind of unsure about what to open with, and she was like, well, what about Heartbreaker? And let's just say that they never open with another song after that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, everybody knows the song. Everybody knows the words. It's an up-tempo song. It's a great opener. And uh, so that, like, aside from me liking that song, I mean, that's another personal connection I have to that because that was always her opening song, the one that she fucking kicked ass with right from the get-go. And it got everybody going and never let down from there.
1: Now, one of the most bizarre songs in her rotation, her uh, albums, is uh, "My Clone Sleeps Alone." <laughs> I, mean I, I I listened to that in the car, and I I kept meaning to go back. I need to go and actually find the lyrics and read through, because I'm not sure if I caught caught it all correctly or not. But yeah, that was kind of a weird
0: one. The title alone made me probably go back and listen to that one first among all the songs on that album. But I have to go back and listen to it really again to uh,
2: pick it apart. Yeah, that's it's it's a nuts song. It's a song that just, <laughs> it gets all of the things. It makes you just go, what is happening? <laughs> but then you also go like, this was written in 1979. Like, were they talking about clones in 1979? What is happening? Yeah, you've never seen Battlestar Galactica? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might be a wrestling nerd, but I might not be a science fiction nerd. Okay. It's all right. No. I'll check it out. I'll do it for you. I'm a science yeah, fiction nerd. This is nerd nice, sees the, ori- the original
1: it. Battlestar Galactica from 1977 or 78. Okay. Clones play a big part in there. Well, then
2: that would make sense.
0: <laughs> all right. So, before we wrap this up, Pat Benatar, are you, you're putting her, this is a tough question to ask, but I want to ask it anyway. So Sorry. as far as solo female performers, um, you're putting her, I would say from 1980, let's say from 1980 on, because I obviously you can go back further than that, but are you putting her on the Mount Rushmore? Are you putting her in the top four of female performers, solo, rock?
1: Definitely top four. I don't, trying to think of who else I would include in that top four. There's, there's Ann Wilson.
0: Well, you got to put, course. you got to put Lita there too.
1: Lita. Yeah. But, but I think Pat's, you know, if you're talking about that, especially that period of time, um, I can't think of anyone, especially females, that I would consider a really, a markedly better singer than her.
0: I mean, Anna Wilson's close, man. I mean, she's, she's close. Yeah. I mean, very, I mean, very great voice, different push come
1: to shove. Yeah. I think that did, did anyone say Debbie Harry? No, we no. didn't. Okay. I, she's definitely in the conversation,
2: yeah. but it's a little different, but yeah, that, you know, the, that seventies, eighties time.
0: Well, I mean, if you say Joan Jett too, I mean, so that's your, yeah, that gives you five there. Now, who do you take off? I mean, maybe vocally she's not the equal of a Pat Benatar or Yeah, a,
1: no. no. I think Joan Jett as good as she is, she doesn't have the uh no. the, the as as high level of vocal talent as these other women mm-hmm. we're talking about. Yeah. I think I think your top two are Pat
2: and Ann.
0: Pat and Ann, yeah. yeah. As far as sheer vocal talent goes.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Because
1: Well, that was a that was an awesome discussion, and I will tell you what, I'm glad glad we did this because it gave me a chance to go back and and listen to a lot of music that I haven't listened to in, in a really long time, and uh, gained a really uh, a new appreciation for uh, for Pat and her music. Fuck
0: yeah! I mean, yeah, I mean, who knew that this little break-in would have resulted in such a hearty conversation about a fantastic female singer.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was telling Sailor. I was almost feeling well, a little guilty, you know, stealing uh, Pat Benatar away from their show, you know, because I'm sure that would have been a great discussion for them. But but we got to do it. Well, when so. she
0: finds <laughs> well when she finds out, you mean <laughs> she doesn't know we broke in? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: They can have Ann Wilson.
0: They can have yeah. Ann Wilson. Yeah, there we'll take go. Pat Benatar. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I do. I do personally want to thank the girls from pretty good for a girl for letting us you know quote unquote borrow their studio <laughs> um, I want to thank Chris from particles collide for taking this ride with us tonight
1: yes thank you Chris thank
2: you for again for having me
0: of course uh, where can the listeners find you guys I mean, oh. on Instagram your website yeah. yeah tell us what's going on
2: okay so Instagram you can find us there we're at um, at when particles collide. Uh, we're on Twitter at When Particles. You can find us on Facebook, and that's also When Particles Collide. Uh, we're on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify. Uh, let's see what else is there for streaming: iTunes uh, or Apple Music, whatever yeah. kids are calling yep. it these days. Uh, all our <laughs> albums are on YouTube. Um, you can go straight to our website. Um, whenparticlescollide.com and that has all our music on it as well Uh, we also have our own Patreon which is just patreon.com slash whenparticlescollide and you can join us there and see all kinds of cool stuff that we're doing on the road and even when we're at home we just recorded a video tonight actually that we're sending out to our patrons later this week so there's all kinds of crazy stuff and you can find us everywhere all you have to really do is just type in whenparticlescollide in your google search and you're going to come up with two things It's either probably going to be science related or is going to be two weirdos like playing playing music so if it's the two weirdos playing music that's us
1: yeah and i will plug your your youtube presence too yeah. they got some gr- great videos thank you on there too when i first uh sailor first turned me on to you that's the first thing i did as i went to uh on youtube and found your music videos and i watched the heck out of those thank you uh so yeah good good stuff
2: oh i also have my own personal instagram page it's very particle still yeah. but it's just particle chris okay so you can find me there too all right
0: <laughs> and uh as far as upcoming tour dates what can you let the listeners know where oh you guys my... will be
2: okay so this weekend we're actually oh when's this come out i don't even know Let's just go forward a little bit. Uh, (laughs) After,
0: uh, around April 1st, we'll be airing this.
2: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, let's see. WrestleMania happens. And after WrestleMania, (laughs) we'll we'll be in Cincinnati, Ohio. Then we're in Pittsburgh, Dayton, Ohio, Somerset, um, Kentucky. And then we head up to Wisconsin. And we're there for a while. And then Omaha and Colorado before we head back this way. So, um, all the tour dates you can also find on our website. So take a look. Come say hi. Whenparticlescollide.com. yeah Yep, and go I w- there, and I, will, I will
0: say personally, because I've seen you guys live twice, go see them. If they're in a city or town near you, make a little drive. If you have to go out of your way, go and see them because they are phenomenal.
2: Thank you, man. You're
0: welcome.
1: All right. So thanks again to all of our listeners. And we ask you to go follow the ladies of this podcast and you can find them at pretty good for a girl on Instagram. And also be sure to follow us over at uh metal rock and whiskey. Also on Instagram, you can follow me individually at bourbon geek and uh, Matt, where can they find you?
0: They can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. Um, we as well on Metal Rock Whiskey have a Patreon page also. Um, so if you want to throw us a dollar or fifty dollars or five hundred dollars, whatever you're feeling at the time, just do that. Uh, that is um, patreon.com slash metal. Help me with this, Ed? Metal Whiskey. <laughs> it's Metal Rock <laughs> it's, Whiskey it's so, Podcast. It's so new that I don't even... Metal don't, Rock
1: Whiskey Pod. Metal Rock as Whiskey in Pod. Metal Rock Whiskey yes. Podcast. Yes. And also, When Particles Collide are also on Patreon. So, and if you love their music, you might want to consider, you know, supporting them as well.
0: Yes. Thank you. We are also on Twitter... Twitter? Twitter? We are also on Twitter now, uh, which is Metal underscore Whiskey. Uh, so follow us there uh, Tweet us uh, We love your opinions Although we might not agree with them Just uh, be nice to everybody That's all we can ask <laughs> uh, I will also give a shout out To the girls of this podcast I'm pretty good for a girl uh, You can find Sailor The host of the show At Sailor Retro Her beautiful co-host uh, Jenny You can find her at Rumderwoman Woman 24-7 On Instagram Carolyn, you can find her at Salcoholic on Instagram, and uh, Kayla, you can find her at Cadellus on Instagram as well. And, uh, man, they're gonna be mad when they find out what we did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, this was it's a... It's been fun. Yes, yeah, sir. This was a blasty blast. But now it is time to riff the fuck out of here before the cops show up. Pretty good for a guy. Signing off later, everyone. Bye.